At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to episode number 17 of the Marine Layer podcast with TJ Matthewson and Lyle Goldstein. On today's pod, we're joined by Corey Brock from The Athletic. Corey joins the show to help us preview the Mariners outfield. We spend most of the time with Corey talking about Julio Rodriguez and Teoscar Hernandez, among other assorted items. After Corey, we conclude the outfield preview with a couple guys we haven't talked as much about, Sam Haggerty and Cooper Hummel. Of course, we close out the show with Speak Your Mind. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you into this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast on Monday, February 27th. We've had four spring training games, Lyle, already. I'm sick and tired of hearing people bitch about the pitch clock already. (laughs) Let me pull out an old Aaron Rodgers quote for everybody that's complaining about this pitch clock. R-E-L-A-X. It's going to be fine, guys. As somebody who watched it for a full season, it's not going to ruin games. It only helps the sport. It's doing its job. Let's not overreact through three or four games of spring training, please. How many violations a game did you see on average in the minors? It was a couple, but it it was never in situations like that Red Sox game from the other day where it was the ninth inning and it decided a contest. That never happened. The umpires, the umpires will give a little bit of leeway on it sometimes. If it's right at zero and the pitcher's about to pitch, kind of like the game clock in football where if it hits zero, sometimes you're given a second or two of leeway. It, the umpires did not let it get to the point where it was affecting games in late innings. And and we didn't see much of that. We would see a couple of game in regular situations. They're never going to enforce it stricter than they enforce it right now. That's for absolute certainty. Remember when they, they changed the rules for, for examining pitchers coming off the mound and it was a pat, it was a, it was a legit pat down of a pitcher while he was coming off the mound. When was the last time you saw a pitcher get like thoroughly examined coming off the mound? That's what I'm saying, right? You can do the same thing with the pitch clock. They obviously have a clock sitting out there that they're staring at, but you know, they're not going to, it's not, it's not going to be as strict. One, two, the players are going to get used to it and they're going to get in the box faster. They're going to realize, Oh shit. I got to get in the batter's box more often than not. Here's the analogy I always give for it. And funny enough, I was thinking back to when I called into your show down in Corvallis back in May I talked with Mike and John a little bit about the pitch clock. I told them the example I gave, I'll give the same example here. Basketball didn't always have a shot clock. Could you imagine the sport of basketball without a shot clock today? Because it would be miserable. Uh, I do. Yes. Do you know the, Lyle, did you know, fun fact, the state of Oregon still does not have a shot clock for high school basketball? No. Oh God, that's gotta be brutal. It's. There are some possessions, you know, me and you are both broadcasters, right? And the best thing about basketball play-by-play, not my favorite sport to call, but 
when you're calling basketball, at least you can say, hey, there is a rhythm to this sport. Every 30 seconds, they have to shoot the basketball and they're going to go the other direction. You know what they don't do in, in high school? They don't shoot it every 30 seconds. There are some possessions. They will hold the ball for over a minute. It is brutal. We always, we always say, right, I know we're kind of getting off topic of baseball, but I think this is kind of interesting. We always say we don't want to be super repetitive and saying the same words over and over and over again. Bilal, how many different ways can you describe the ball making its way around the three-point arc to the baseline, back around the three-point arc while it's being passed, passed? Oh, no, now they actually throw it inside. Nope, they throw it back out. Nope, nope. And it's like, oh, I would say the shot clock's running out, but it's actually not. <laughs> We both always have a lot of tabs pulled up on our computer during broadcasts, at least when there's information out there between live stats, between team rosters, all that stuff. You might have to start pulling up thesaurus on your computer during these high school basketball games if you need some more words. Because, yeah, I don't know how many different ways you can describe that. So, in conclusion, high school basketball without a shot clock, terrible. Major League Baseball with a pitch clock, I like it. Maybe it gets extended a little bit. I wouldn't. I wouldn't care that much if they say, "Hey, let's make, let's make it with nobody on." Seventeen seconds. How about that? Seventeen seconds. You give everyone an extra two seconds. That takes out the buffer. That right now is the buffer period, right? Where guys are like almost in the box, but they're not staring at the pitcher. And they get whistled. Call the strike. The pitcher has not started his motion yet, exactly. But if he had an extra two seconds, maybe he would start his motion. I think that would fix a lot of problems if they just extended it by two seconds. But I, again, I don't, I don't think 15 seconds is, is all that bad. I just sit down and watch an inning. I'm like, that was nice. It was fast. The only people it's going to affect are pitchers like Pedro Baez, who used to take 55 seconds or whatever it was between pitches. That's the stuff that nobody cares about. Even old school baseball fans. Nobody wants to wait a whole minute for another pitch. That's what the pitch clock's doing. And guess what? All those seconds added up condenses games. For all those people out there, if you're a baseball fan and you have friends or family who say, oh, the sport's boring, it's too long. If this pitch clock is implemented, which it's going to be, nobody can make that argument anymore. It'll be the same length of time as a basketball game. I, the pitch clock is only going to do good things. So again, let's relax. Let's pump the brakes. Give it some time. I promise people are going to get used to it. Have you enjoyed the tweet that was tweeted out today? I forget which game it was. Someone threw an inning today, I believe it was, faster than Pedro Baez did. Uh, threw, uh, he threw essentially threw an inning in between pitches from Pedro Baez in game one of the 2016 NLCS when he's facing David Ross. I think he took a minute and 41 seconds between pitches. Did Pedro Baez and someone today threw an inning faster than that? That's amazing. I did not see it that. Is. That's great. Yeah. Spring training, or we're, we're seeing it get tested out for the first time at the big league level. I promise people, pitch clock, good thing. That's my conclusion. The only other thing I saw regarding the pitch clock, people were like, oh, they're going to shut off beer sales early. It's like, okay. Like, teams are going to be like, oh, we can't sell beer. We can't sell beer for three hours. We're going to have to cut off beer sales after an hour and 45 minutes. Oh, no. <laughs> also no. just get there early buy it before the game that's what i'm saying double fist yeah i think double fisting would work that would be 
Regardless, a uh, couple of spring training storylines we can touch on now before we get to our interview with Corey Brock. Again, we're recording this here on Monday to be released on Wednesday. Four games have already happened. Six will have happened by the time this episode is published. When we did the interview with Corey Brock, they had yet to play a game. So we couldn't really talk about any game storylines with him. But a couple of things really just off the top, Lyle. Chris Flexen today looked good. Jared Kelnick yesterday with two home runs to send you over the moon. We had a good relief outing from uh, Prelander Baroa. He looked really good on the mound in his two innings of relief. Uh, you know, walked Juan Soto, gave up a hit to Manny, but had three strikeouts in two innings. Can't, uh, no, it was more than that. Two strikeout more than that. Three. Yeah, he, had, three? He, struck, yeah. he struck out the side in that first inning, and he got Xander Bogarts. He made Xander Bogarts look stupid. Yeah, yeah he did. That stuff is real. Other Mariners pitchers being brought along pretty slowly. George Kirby and Logan Gilbert are going to pitch at the end of this week. I believe Gilbert is going to pitch on Friday. Kirby's going to start on Saturday. Luis Castillo, again, for here us here recording on a Monday, will pitch tomorrow. So if you're listening to this on Wednesday when this comes out, which I would assume you are, he would have pitched yesterday when he comes out. I'm excited to see what it'll look like. We will not have any hot takes on Luis Castillo's first start of the spring with us recording before he gets on the bump. Just a couple, and uh, Cal Raleigh is supposed to make his debut tomorrow. So let me know if I missed anything there, but I think that's uh, that's an early thing of what we're uh, what we're looking at here in spring. Just same thing with Cal Raleigh. Uh, press time for us being a Monday. Cal Raleigh is going to catch on Tuesday his first action of the, of the spring. But by the time this podcast's out, he should have already caught. Did see a video of him today hit a homer on one knee. So that's looking good. Does that remind you of anything? A certain other baseball he nearly dug out of the dirt for a home run? Yeah, pretty memorable one, I would say. I would agree. That was uh, pretty good. I just got to say, Kelnick looked great on Sunday with those two homers. His BABIP right now, his batting average on balls in play, is zero. Meaning he's getting pretty unlucky, even with the two homers. I mean, he scorched the ball Friday that got caught. He scorched the ball on Sunday after the two homers that got caught, and he scorched the ball Monday that was fielded on the dirt. So, I mean, he's hitting the ball hard. Again, we're not going to overreact or anything yet, but I think for what he's done through three games of action, it's what the Mariners would want to see so far. Instead of giving you shit about keeping track of spring training BABIP, I'm going <laughs> to instead take the more mature approach of this and say, I've been very pleased with what I've seen from Jared. And I've heard some quotes come out, was listening to some Seattle Sports 710 content earlier today where they are able to talk to Jared and really get a feel for what he is after the play. Shannon Dreyer, you know, all, all the, the beat writers and stuff, they get to tear, talk to Jared after the game. And a lot of it for Jared now is just winning every pitch, which is important and sounds cliche. But another way I thought about it, which Mike Salk on his show brought up earlier today here on Monday, how the pitch clock can help Jared. So Jared's, we talk about, it's always in his head. That's what it seems like. For the reason he has not succeeded at the big league level has been what's in his head. Well, the fact that he has to get in the box every, what, it's seven seconds, right? He has to get in the box and look at the pitcher every seven, uh, no, eight seconds, sorry. Every eight seconds, he steps out, recollects, get to get back in the box. He doesn't have time to think about what just happened. And small sample size, you know, could help, could help him out there. You know what a great man once said? First rule of baseball, don't think it'll only hurt the ball club. If you know Bull Durham, you'll know the reference. But that is a good point, and I hadn't thought about that much. So 
hat tip to Salk because, yeah, I mean, maybe the idea of the pitch clock can help Jared just get in a rhythm, which would be great. Also, mechanically, he does look more sound, which is great, too. He does. Again, we, we talk about it with the swing, and we need a larger sample size to actually make conclusions. We do. It's, it, is, it is impossible to make judgments on Jared Kelnick's game for three, spray, three exhibition games. However, his at-bats through three, three games have looked good. His mechanics, as you said, have looked good. There, Joe Doyle clipped the at-bat he had today where he hit a screamer to second on one hop and got out. I mean, he spat on a couple of change-ups down pitches he might have swung at over the last couple of years. He sat off a pitch up near his chin, which he also would have swung at. Actually, it wasn't quite chin. It was a little bit lower. But above the strike zone, didn't swing at that, made contact with the pitches in the strike zone, and with two strikes and an absolute rocket to second base. Got out, but he did hit the ball extremely hard. Can't ask for anything more than that. No, again, through three or four games, it's everything you could ask for. So we'll see how Kelnick progresses the rest of the spring. I guess if there's one other storyline we want to touch on is Evan White hit his first homer today, today being Monday. So again, another guy that has a long way to go in terms of his offensive development, but can't complain about it. It's a positive sign. You can't. I'm curious to see how Evan White, the 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 accumulation of Evan White's at, Evan White's at bats are. He's going to get a lot of playing time when the guys go off to when they go off to play in the WBC. We're going to see a lot more of him then. I want to see you know like like Jared, good at bats and a for Evan. Last time we saw him in the big leagues, he's striking out 40 percent of the time, not chasing pitches and crushing pitches in the strike zone. He did the pitch he did get to hit today was a cookie middle middle, and he hit an absolute missile. That was nice to see for Evan. He he is going to find his at bats this spring. That's that's not a mystery. He's he's going to hit quite a bit this spring. I'm excited to see that, and we will uh, we'll see it as it goes along. So we're previewing outfielders today, Lyle. We did a good chunk of it with Corey Brock, who is an excellent interview. Touched on a whole number of things. Spent more time talking about the town of Corvallis than I thought we would, but we we did end up talking a little bit of Corvallis. That's where I met Corey for the first time at a beaver baseball game last spring so able to reconnect on that but we also spent a good chunk of time talking about julio rodriguez and teoscar hernandez as part of our outfield preview Corey also wrote in a a bit of a feature piece on julio uh, one of his first pieces of the spring that he put out earlier last week and we talked with him about that in the interview amongst other things after that of course we're going to talk about sam haggerty and cooper hummel now you're probably wondering where is Jared? Well, we just talked about Jared. Get over it. Um, but no, we've actually talked a lot about Jared. I don't think most of what we have to say about Jared and AJ Pollock, the left field platoon, has already been said. For how it is in spring training, pre-spring training of what our expectations are, it has already been said. So if you want to hear about Jared and AJ Pollock, if you want to hear, uh, let's start with Jared. For Jared, you can go listen to episodes number 9 and 12 if you want to hear more in-depth stuff on Jared Kelnick. And for AJ Pollock, episodes number 7 and episodes 10. So you do that, and then you come back and listen to this episode, and you get your full outfield preview. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get to our interview with Corey Brock. We welcome Corey Brock onto the Marine Layer podcast. Corey is a staff writer with The Athletic. Uh, This will now be his sixth season uh, since he's joined The Athletic and returned home to the Pacific Northwest to cover the Mariners. We really appreciate uh, Corey joining the Marine Layer podcast today. Corey, thanks so much for coming on. 
PJ Lyle, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So I was thinking, Corey, as we're about to have you on today, the first time I met you was at Oregon State's Goss Stadium about nine months ago now. It was, it was I think, a Sunday. It was warm. It was sunny. You were there mm-hmm. to write a story on Mitch Canham. You know, it was it was peak it was peak spring and I, the, the weather was great. And I look outside today here in Corvallis; it is snowing. The home opener for Oregon State is tomorrow, as we're recording here on Thursday, the twenty third. And I thought it was funny because we literally now have come full circle in that in that retrospect. I hope you have a heavier coat this time, PJ. I don't think I'll be at the game tomorrow. So you mentioned to me, uh, yeah, yeah, that uh, I know you saw this too. They had to move up the start time tomorrow because apparently. They cannot play it when it's like twenty degrees out. The low tomorrow is like nineteen degrees, and so they wanted they wanted to avoid that. Uh, it is it is interesting how how that works. And we also saw uh, that you you went to Leo's Island Barbecue the other day. So we asked Ryan Divish, who we had on last week, uh, about mm-hmm. Leo's Island. He said it was good, and I was curious, but we didn't get like a, a full breakdown of how Leo how good Leo's Island is, like item for item. It's it's so it's it's Hawaiian food. And it, it's really good. And I don't know about you guys, but it's like it's in the Pacific Northwest. And maybe I'm just not looking in the right spots, but it's hard to find like good Hawaiian food. Uh, but these guys, these guys do an amazing job. Uh, Ryan and I have probably each been there three times. I think we've gone with each other every time. Uh, and we uh, we took this Padres or I'm sorry, Mariners prospect with us who he's a big Leo's fan. His name's Cade Marlowe. He's an outfielder in big league camps. And so we've been talking about it for a while. So the three of us went and uh, pretty much once you eat it, like um, let's just say that like you probably need to line up a nap or nothing else productive the rest of the day, um, which is never a problem for us. But uh, yeah, it's usually our last stop on the way back to the hotel or Ryan staying in a condo, I guess, but yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. You know, everybody's got their spots to go to, and um, that's certainly our number one spot in Peoria. We were curious. I was going to ask. Did you run into, run, did you run into Cade Marlowe by chance? But it sounded like you guys invited him specifically. Yeah, because we've been talking about this for over a year because uh, I got to know Cade last spring, and he just mentioned, I don't know how we got on the subject, because um, he, he was living close to, uh, Leo's, which is only a five minute drive from the the ballpark. And he goes, yeah, I go there three, four times a week, which I thought was really aggressive. But, uh, you know, these minor league guys don't make a whole lot of money. So uh, Leo's is good bang for the buck. And uh, so it was fun to finally sit down together and uh, enjoy a meal. Well, that's really interesting. I, again, I, I was I was in TJ's boat where I thought, oh, maybe you guys just ran into each other. But the fact you planned it, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, and he's a he's a really nice guy. Like, and I don't know, he's like twenty five. Um, just you know, he was in Double A. Actually, he's put together two very good. If you look at his baseball reference page, he's knocked in over a hundred runs in each of the last two seasons. Now he's a little old in terms of uh, being a prospect. Um, you know, I guess he's probably three years older than Julio Rodriguez at this point, but um, he's got a decent chance to make the big leagues this year and just a really smart and polite guy. You know, he, he answers yes, sir, which makes me feel even older than I am. Um, but yeah, we had a good time and had some laughs, so it was fun. Corey, you write for The Athletic. Would it not be a story The Athletic would do as like a lunch at Leo's Island Barbecue with Cade Marlowe? 
Dude, I've thought of that. I, in fact, maybe I should have, should have written it up. I was thinking of, you know, they got a new second baseman from the uh, Brewers this year, Colton Wong, who's from Hawaii. So I thought about inviting Colton to Leo's, um, but I don't know. Like, I'm a little fearful that he might not like it. <laughs> it might not quite be up to his standards, but uh, I'm keeping that one in the back pocket. Let's just put it that way. Okay, so you and Ryan Divish go out to lunch at Leo's Island. You were mentioning to us before we got on here, I thought it'd be a cool story for you to share while we're on the air. You and Ryan Divish actually go a long way back. You might actually have some responsibility in him getting into sports reporting. Yeah, I feel a little bad about that, but um, he, he, well, he mostly seems to enjoy it. He, I used to work at the News Tribune in Tacoma um, years ago, and Ryan was... Uh, he was an intern there and he kind of got assigned to me and we'd go out to Cheney stadium and cover the Tacoma Rainiers. And, you know, he got up to Seattle a few times to do some, you know, help out with Mariners stuff. So yeah, I guess I'm partly responsible for getting him into journalism. And the, as the story I was telling you is uh, I met up with his parents last summer, they were vacationing down here during spring training uh, to get away from the Montana winter. And uh, I went up and I told his dad, I was like, oh, Mr. Divish, I'm a, uh, um, I have to apologize for, I feel partly responsible for getting Ryan into journalism. Uh, Ryan has a teaching degree, but he, maybe he shared with you that he soon discovered he doesn't like kids. So, uh, <laughs> that, that, that didn't work out, but, um, so I, I don't know, I felt a little bad, but his dad just kind of gave me a smirk. So I, I, maybe he's okay with it. Well, I think it's worked out pretty well for both Ryan and yourself, where now you sit at The Athletic, you've been there for a while now, and The Athletic is such a big publication these days. I mean, what drew you there when you first got there? Well, you know, I joined in, I guess, probably February of, oh, no, no, I guess it was probably closer to uh, right around the start of March in 2018, and they, they were at a point where they were still relatively new. Um, but I known a lot of writers that had gone over there and their vision that they sort of had really lined up with what I've always wanted to do. I like storytelling. Um, I like writing feature stories for me. That's the most interesting aspect of the job. And that's where my job probably, well, it doesn't probably, but that's where my job differs from, from Ryan's or from MLB.com or some other outlets, um, that, you know, I don't. I don't cover the sport transactionally. Like, you know what I mean? Like if someone, someone hurts their leg, you know, if it, if it, if it's a big enough story, I'll write it. But I, I'm trying to take a, take a step back and take a little bit wider view, not just of the team, but the organization. Uh, I just, I don't consider myself uh, the beat writer for the Mariners major league team. I consider myself the beat writer for the entire organization. And when you do that, it opens up a lot of um, a lot more potential stories really and I've met a lot of great people um, I've really enjoyed this chapter in journalism I mean like I said I started out in newspapers I worked at MLB.com for over 10 years uh, covered the Mariners in 06 and then nine years covering the Padres in San Diego and that was a fun chapter but um, yeah I'm really enjoying this ride and you know we were purchased by the New York Times probably about a oh probably about a year ago I guess it's been um, Right after, and then they bought Wordle. So I don't know what's a better investment for them at this point. But, um, <laughs> but we, uh, it's been a lot of fun. It, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, honestly, guys, like, 
if this doesn't work, I don't know if anything will. You know what I mean? This is like, feels like the be all end all job for me. I, I just get kind of free reign to write stories that I want to write. And that's how Corey and I met initially, as I led off this podcast with you mentioned beat writer for the organization, and you're there to cover and talk to a former member of the organization, Mitch Canham, who's in who's in double A in 2019 with a lot of this current Mariners staff. And it's a look at a Pacific Northwest baseball, but be a guy who's gone on to be really successful that was a part of the Mariners organization and is now out and doing bigger and better things. That was an easy story for me, guys. I mean, honestly, uh, I got to know Mitch. Um, well, actually, Mitch was drafted by the Padres uh, when I was covering the organization. I didn't get to know him then, obviously, but um, I went to. I made a trip. Well, actually, I made two trips to Arkansas in 2019. They had a really stacked team there, and so I spent some time with Mitch uh, in his office. And um, you know, I didn't have any idea this the Oregon State gig was. Uh, in play. And I don't honestly, I don't even know how much it was when I was visiting there. I think this all kind of happened pretty quickly. Um, but obviously had a good relationship with him and understanding his background growing up in the Seattle area, being a Mariners fan, and then, you know, getting a chance to go home again, home being Corvallis, you know, where he starred on those Beaver teams that, uh, I think he played on two, uh, national champion teams, if I'm correct. And then, coming back for his dream job. And um, I just thought it was a cool story. So again, like this is something, you know, no one asked me to do this. I was just like, I think this is going to be a really good story. And I, I was really proud of the way it turned out. Um, it got some good response and it drove a lot of subscriptions and page views and which, you know, ultimately, um, you know, we all sort of have metrics we look at to, to gauge our work uh, quantitative and qualitative, but it, uh, it was a fun story and it gave me an excuse to go to Corvallis and pick up some block 15 beer and, uh, you know, spend a little time going to a game. Yeah. That game, that game, uh, TJ, I think that was against university of Washington and it was a nice day. I believe so. And, yeah. And, um, really nice day that day. And the beeves won. And, um, I, again, I just, I really like, I really like the campus down there. I have nine year old twin boys and if one of them's, uh, his name is Bennett. So, you know, he's a big fan of Benny the Beaver. And I took him to a, <laughs> I took him to the Boise, Boise State football game in the fall. And we, we of course, we had to find Benny. Um, so we chased him around and got photos with him and just had a great time. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Corvallis and for Oregon State. Yeah, I'm sitting up yeah, there I'm in the second row of the press box and I'm wondering – Hey, who's that guy in front? I've never seen. I, I've ne I had not. I hadn't seen your face, face quite as often, Corey. And you, were, I think you were sitting down. You were looking at the field. I'm like, well, I usually know everyone who shows up here. I have no idea who this is. And I peek. I see oh, the athletic. Oh, <laughs> importance. And I think. Uh, I think it worked out pretty well because yeah, full circle you, moment. Now we're now we're yeah. here talking about the Mariners. <laughs> yeah, and I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you introduced yourself that day, TJ. So that was. Uh, yeah, that was. A, that was cool. I just found myself kind of listening to uh, Mike Parker down there, you know, in that booth, you could hear, you know, when someone sneezes or, or drops their keys on the floor. And so I, I'm a big fan of his. And so that was kind of fun to listen to him call the game. We could transition onto the Mariners now. Yeah. Or, or, or it's oh, a, it's, Mariners? it's a nice, okay. yeah, we are going to talk <laughs> Mariners. Yes, yes, yes. 
Um, yeah, always, always good to to hear about some some things in Corvallis. But however, this is a uh, this is a Mariners podcast. So speaking of feature writing, Corey. Uh, wasn't like a, a full fleshed out feature because I don't know how many more words we can use to describe this one player, but you did a really nice piece on Julio earlier this week of what his expectations are for this season. And I guess I kind of want to like we'll start like on a broad out view. I, I just don't know how we can place expectations on him for this season because the ceiling, uh, I think you would agree, is just it's so high for him, isn't it? Yeah, and I think the Mariners, you know, have stopped a long time ago trying to kind of put limits on him. You know, I've known Julio. I met, first met him when he was 18 years old at the uh, the complex there in Arizona in the fall. And I think he had just maybe played his first season in the Dominican Summer League. And But, you know, he kind of self-taught himself English. I remember we had an interview, and he insisted on doing it in English. And then afterwards, like he raced down the hallway to call his parents to tell him that he didn't interview in English. He was so proud of himself. And I, I was just kind of smitten with the guy um, as an 18-year-old, just the way he carried himself, his, his charisma, just how he seemed so genuine and his love for baseball, his love for everything um, just just seemed to ooze from him. And I don't think a whole lot of that has necessarily changed um, his world <laughs> has changed quite a bit. He is a very wealthy and will be a very wealthy man moving forward. Um, I mean, there was that home run derby, the rookie of the year. Um, the sky is kind of the limit. You've seen him now in Major League Spring Training last year and this year. Can you put into perspective how different it is for him, for what he's dealing with media-wise, expectations-wise, fan response-wise, for just the span of 365 days? I mean, there's just no sneaking up on people anymore. And like I mentioned, you know, we, you know, people that follow the team and follow the organization have known about this guy for a little while. But I think last year was the year he really introduced himself to the world, so to speak. You know, he played in the Olympics. Um, he had the, what, the eight, he hit 81 home runs in the All-Star uh, home run derby. And he didn't even win that, which is kind of goofy. But uh, and then the rookie of the year stuff, big contract. And so, yeah. A lot of eyes on him, a lot of eyes. I hear a lot of Julio, Julio, will you sign my autograph? Uh, you know, will you give me an autograph at, at camp? And um, But he seems to be handling himself um, really well. I mean, he's still got the big smile. He's happy. Um, yeah, he's just he's just cut a little differently. You know, that's, a, that's kind of the best way I could put it. And I think we kind of all kind of wondered, like, how he was going to handle all this success. And obviously, he's got a team working behind the scenes. Uh, in his agency and some marketing stuff and all that. But, you know, uh, maybe the the polls on his time are much greater than they were before. And I understand that people want to talk to him. Um, but deep down, I think he's still just, you know, like I still think of 18-year-old Julio just smiling and happy. And I still see that side. So that's really nice. What made him so easy to embrace by his teammates. I mean, it's easy to see why fans could embrace him. It's easy to see why just people across baseball could embrace him. But sometimes when you see young players with as much confidence and as much swag as he has, sometimes it might rub some veteran players the wrong way. But that didn't really happen with Julio. Why do you feel like that is? Yeah, well, two things. I I think, you know, he never gave them a reason to hold any animosity. He was a team first guy. And and 
by and large, very selfless in the way he carried himself and the way he rooted for his teammates. Um, and then he was really good. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think that was a, a big part of it. But the other thing that I think is pretty important, and this kind of goes to what made fans really love him was, and I get back to it again, I know it kind of sounds cliche, but you know, this kid is happy all the time. He's smiling and it seems very genuine. Um, he just really seems to be enjoying himself. And I think that's sort of infectious. I think it maybe rubs off on some people. It's a hard game. It's a humble, humbling game. It's a long season. Um, what do you got? Five, six months of the season. You got 30 or six weeks of spring training. It's, it's a lot. It takes a toll on guys, but um, I think fans just fell in love with them and uh, not just in Seattle now, but I think he is, uh, you know, he's going to be one of those faces of baseball moving forward. To the Mariners point and the play on the field now, what do they actually want him to get better at this year? I think, um, you know, I, th I think it for young players and I don't know if this is a specific conversation they've had, but you know, it, it's, you know, he bats lead off. So it's, you know, strike zone awareness, um, seeing pitches, not expanding the strike zone. I thought he did a pretty good job of that as a rookie. Um, I think with the new, some of the new rules, you'll see him maybe run a little more. I mean, this guy could be a 40-40 guy, potentially. Uh, I think 30-30 is definitely within reach. So, you know, there, there are things to sharpen up on. He's not a finished product by any means, um, especially at age 22. So, He's got some room to grow in this game, which I think is actually really exciting because, again, we just don't know how good this guy can be. My question to that, though, is I'm curious if the Mariners really want Julio sliding headfirst into second base 55, 60 times a season. We saw the effect that had on him earlier in the second half of the year after the All-Star break. He slides into the base against the Rangers, bangs up his wrist, goes and hits the home run derby and swings in all three rounds and kind of it doesn't really help the health of his wrist. I'm I'm just curious if that's, you know, are they going to be like, hey, we would love for you to steal if you slide feet first only or something like that. Yeah, that, that would seem to be the smarter way to go. Um, you know, he ran a lot in the first half last year because I think a lot of pitchers really didn't think he was that fast. I mean, if you look at him physically, he doesn't look like a guy that, you know, is a plus runner, but he was. He didn't run a lot in the second half, and I think that was because uh, – Teams kind of caught on to him, and um, you know, I, I think maybe thinking about potential injuries and all that. So, you know, I don't know. I, that's a good question. Um, I, I'm curious how much he's going to run, but I just think now there's some baked-in things with the rule changes that could potentially make it easier for guys like Julio to steal bases. So, we'll sort of see where that goes. But um, um, it bears watching, but yeah, it's fun. It's funny anytime you could talk about a five-tool player. I was hoping to do a little bit of a fun exercise with you, Corey, and this is a total hypothetical, of course, because the Mariners will almost definitely never consider this, but it's something TJ and I have talked about just as kind of a fun discussion point, is if you were to put on your GM hat and take all the contracts into account in baseball, so contracts play a factor into this, is there a single player you would trade Julio Rodriguez for right now? Oh, just a straight up one for one, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so because, um, again, there's so many factors, but like he's 22. 
and like the enormity of what his game could become. Um, I just, I, I don't think you could do that. I don't think, I don't think you could trade him or you should, or would ever want to, where did you guys fall with that? So oh, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, so I'm with I you, think, Corey. I yeah. think where uh, we had another friend, it was about halfway through the season. I think TJ and I were already on the side of no, between his age, between his upside, between yeah. all the other contracts in baseball, there's nobody I'd trade him for. I think we had one other friend that said, maybe I'd trade him for Juan Soto and that's it. And then once the season ended, he said, yeah, forget it. There's nobody. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple guys that are, are certainly pretty intriguing, but uh, when you could just, you know, when, when you consider what this guy could be um, and, you know, I don't think he's, you know, based on that contract, I don't think he's ever going to play for another team. Now, you know, we don't know that, you know, um, I hope I'm still alive at the end of his deal. Um, <laughs> hopefully we all are. But, yeah, I think he could be a Mariner for life. And uh, that they got very creative to work that deal out, and I'm glad they did. I think it's a, a huge boost for the organization. It is pretty crazy to think about where we could all be when that contract ends, if it actually goes 17 years, just to think – man, am I going to be into my early 40s by then? Like, I, I can't even picture what my life will look like by that time. Lyle, I don't want to hear you, about you being in your 40s, okay? I am, <laughs> I'm going to be, I'm going to be 54 in April and I have nine-year-old twin boys. So I'm going to be working till I'm 118. So maybe I'll, maybe I will be around for the end of that deal. Maybe, maybe Julio would give us a little couch change for college at that point. <laughs> You would, you would have just, I mean, what, you would have just celebrated your 70th, so maybe you can, you'll watch his retirement ceremony, I don't know, from like Greece? Oh, that's a good thought. I was, uh, I was going to cut you off there, TJ, if you're going to make some age jokes, but no, I think I could envision, <laughs> um, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll stay uh, stateside, maybe, maybe down here in Arizona, maybe just play some golf Ooh. and drink margaritas all day. That's actually what doesn't sound like a bad doing. option. Yeah, see, I'm talking to you guys. That's what I should be doing. <laughs> well, uh, we've talked quite a bit about Julio now, and but there's another member of this Mariners outfield that we want to get to with you, a new addition for this year. It's Teoscar Hernandez, a guy mm -hmm. who's really been embraced, something uh, with the outfield addition last year. Jesse Winker was almost the complete opposite of, of how that ended up. But it seems like for Teoscar entering this Mariners clubhouse, he'll go and play for the Dominican Republic with Julio in a few weeks. It seems like that's the opposite. And I think, I don't know if the Mariners did extra background research to make sure this would check out, but it seems like this situation might work out a little bit better. Yeah. And, you know, you know, no one saw the, the winker sort of, Thing going the direction it did. I mean, his track record was pretty good, but I think Tay Oscar's track record is even better. Um, this guy has big time power that that will play in any ballpark, even T-Mobile Park, which um, you know is, is by and large a pitcher's ballpark. But um, I think he's going to be. I think he's going to be really good. I don't know if they they've had talks about extending him or not, but um, I think he is going to be a nice thumper in the middle of that order. And probably will allow other guys to hit in spots where there may be conducive to having more success. So I thought that was a great pickup. I didn't think the price was terribly steep. I think they had some depth in the bullpen and 
Uh, Eric Swanson had a very good year last year, and I'm sure he'll do fine in Toronto. And uh, the young kid, Adam Mako, is a prospect. But, you know, you, you got a chance to win now. Your competitive window is open. And, you know, really the, the perfect example of that is that Luis Castillo deal. They gave up a lot, a lot to get that guy. But, you know, here as we sit here now in February, no one's bemoaning that deal. You know what I mean? Like this guy, this guy was a rock star and I don't think he gets his due enough. I think he's as close to a number one. Um, well, he's certainly in terms of what the Mariners have, he is. I don't think there's that many, there's not 30 number ones in baseball. Right. Um, but he is, he is very good. And then they signed him to a five-year extension for 108 million. So anyway, you give up these prospects and, you know, if, if your return allows you to be better today, I think you gotta, you gotta really consider it. And that's why they built, you know, part of the reason you build this farm system up the way they did is to uh, augment the big league roster, which they've done with George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, Cal Raleigh. And it's also can be used to move to get win now players. And so Teoscar Hernandez is that Luis Castillo is that. I'll get back to Teoscar in just a second, but you bringing up Castillo, I just wanted to get this off because to your point, a lot of people were upset. A lot of fans, I should say, were upset about the price it took to acquire Castillo last July. I mean, could you imagine if the Mariners had lost out on him and then they'd had to settle for Frankie Montas, who's now going to miss most of this season? I mean, that trade was worth every penny they paid. Yeah, and, you know, honestly, they make that trade knowing, you know, having a good idea of what they're getting, even though they will tell you that Luis Castillo was even better than, uh, you know, what the, the version they got of him, those 11 starts in the regular season and then those two starts in the postseason, especially that one in Toronto. Fabulous. I mean, yeah, you know, at the time, you know, it hurts. It hurts a, an organization to trade away players they've drafted, developed, brought along, and, you know, at some point envision in, in as part of their future. But um, you got to make those tough calls sometimes. And um, the Reds probably just kept asking for guys, and uh, the Mariners kept throwing guys in there. And, you know, we'll see what those guys become. That's an unknown. What's not an unknown? is that Luis Castillo can shove and he is, he is really good. It's going to be fun to see what he does now in 32 starts for the team, for the team, instead of just the 11 he made last year. I can't wait to see it. I really can't because he was so fun throughout the entire second half last year in the postseason too. But getting back to Teoscar Hernandez now, where do you expect his production to place in this Mariners lineup. I mean, you assume Julio is going to be the best bat. What, where would the Mariners be satisfied with his production? If he's top three in the lineup in terms of production, top five, where do you see that landing that satisfies the Mariners? Yeah, I, I, I think this is a guy that's probably going to, you know, depending on matchups, because it will move some things around, you know, he'll probably hit third or fourth in the lineup. Um, you know, this is a guy who, you know, it could maybe hit 270, 35 home runs and knock in a lot of runs, especially if guys like uh, Colton Wong and Ty France and, of course, Julio are on base when he gets up there. So I think there's a potential for him to knock in a lot of runs with this team. So, um, and he's a proven run producer, you know, and so I don't get the sense that any stage or any moment's too big for him because I think he's sort of gone through a lot of that in Toronto. Um, you know, I, I made the joke a couple times. I think I even wrote it that, you know, the version the Mariners hope to get of 
uh, Teoscar Hernandez is the, the guy they saw in that game two where he hit two home runs. I mean, th- th- that's what this guy could do. He's got tremendous power, and I think he's a good clubhouse guy. And uh, I think a lot of guys really embrace the opportunity to come to a team that, like I said, it has their competitive window open. They're coming off two 90-win seasons. Um, you know, baseball is on the rise in Seattle again, and it's a lot of fun. Do you th- So we know – let me restart my question. We know that the DH spot's going to be a rotation of players. Do we think Teoscar, though, do you think Teoscar is going to be the number one guy in that spot? They'll try and keep him off his feet so that bat can stay in the lineup as much as possible. Yeah, I think he'll, he will get some turns there. Um, I don't think he's a bad defender necessarily. I, I think he could hold his own right field, plays pretty true in that ballpark. Uh, center field's obviously very big, but I have a feeling Julio can handle um, – like 300 yards of space out there to his left and right and cover for those guys if need be. But yeah, I could see that. I think, and I think the way they're handling that, you know, unless you had like a Nelson Cruz in his prime and, you know, you slot those 500 at bats in that spot, this is the best way to do it because, you know, I think toward the end of last year, a lot of guys were worn down. Ty France was worn down. He was hurt. JP Crawford got tired. Um, I think guys were on fumes at the end of the season. So if you can get a guy off his feet once a week, maybe even a little more, um, and just rolling through that DH spot, still keep his bat in the lineup, I think that's really the way to go. And I think and I think we'll probably see more teams doing that. Last thing on Teoscar Hernandez here to kind of wrap this up. I mean, obviously, it was a trade that's expected to really impact this lineup. And you look at the rest of the AL West that has so many tough lefties in this division between Framber Valdez, Martin Perez, a couple others. Not only is Teoscar a great offensive producer, you look at what he's done against left-handed pitching the last three yeah. years, it's off the charts. I mean, you're talking about a guy that has the second highest OPS in baseball against lefties in that time, only behind Paul Goldschmidt, who won the MVP. So if you're the Mariners, you have to hope that he can help against some of those lefties at the very least. Yeah, and that's one of the things they wanted. They wanted to find a, a right-handed outfielder, a right-handed thumper, uh, to kind of you know better neutralize some of those lefties they'll be seeing. And that's why in left field with Jared Kelnick, uh, you'll see A.J. Pollock get a lot of at-bats against left-handers, and he has a good track record there. So, you know, the, the this Mariner lineup, it might not be no two lineups look the same at any point this year because they have some pieces that they can move in and out. And I think they're really cognizant about keeping guys fresh for those games in September because – you know, the last two Septembers, those games have meant everything. And there's no reason to think that won't be the case again. Got anything else on Teoscar Law? I think that about wraps it up. I mean, I'm just excited to watch him play. I know he's only under contract for one year, but to have a lineup with him, with Julio, with Ty France, Cal Raleigh, Suarez, I mean, those are five real run producers. And it's probably more than the Mariners have had in a long time. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah, and, you know, their pitching, you know, really kept them afloat. You know, even when they were struggling last year, the pitching was still pretty good. Um, Struggling offensively, I should say. But the the pitching has been so good. Um, But, they, you know, offensively, I think they were shut out like 12 times last year. Um, And, yes, a lot of those happened during that stretch where they weren't very good in April and May. But, you know, even then I kind of looked at the roster and I'm like, it, it it wasn't because of one one or two things. It was really like, well, this is their team. Um, they're just not performing right now. 
Uh, maybe it'll turn around. And lo and behold, it did. And, you know, like for a lot of reasons, you know, like some guys got hot offensively. Ty France was good in the first half. Bringing George Kirby up, man, yeah, he's a real deal. Um, so a lot of things went right. They had that 14-game winning streak um, that really got them moving in the second half. So, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be fun to see how this all shakes out. I mean, there's no guarantees in baseball. There's no guarantee they'll be blessed with the kind of uh, good health they had last year. Um, I mean, that's just that's such an outlier of a season to go through and not have any of your starting pitchers get dinged up or have to go on the injured list. That's just remarkable. And it's entirely not sustainable. So, uh, but maybe it is, I don't know, you know, we'll see, but they have a lot of depth and I like their roster. I thought maybe coming out of the off season, maybe they're one bat shy, but you know, whatever, this is what it is for whatever reason. Um, but I think this is a better team uh, that they ended the season than they ended the season with. It'll be exciting. Uh, now, judging that now we are recording on Thursday, I believe, Corey, right? Games start tomorrow. Uh, this will be yeah. out. Uh, there will be, I think, four four games played already by the time this drops. So uh, we won't have any analysis on that here. But games start <laughs> tomorrow. It will be really exciting. I think that wraps up this interview for now, Corey. We really appreciate you coming on. Uh, you can find Corey's work on The Athletic uh, under the 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 Mariners tab. You can also find Corey on Twitter uh, at Corey Brock MLB for more Leo's Island Barbecue and uh, hanging out with Divish and uh, and Kate Marlow. That's all I'm here for. Maybe some baseball on the side, but I'm just here for the wine food. <laughs> it's a it's a good choice. Oh, uh, speaking of wine food, before we get off here, Corey, uh, yes. local boys here in Corvallis, you've been right Hawaiian. No. Oh, you need to go Hawaiian. Great Hawaiian food. You need to try it. Okay. Got it. And another reason yet to come back to Corvallis. Yeah. Yeah, you do. It's, it, it's, it, it is like, it is in a, in a very crummy building. So you know, the food's good. It, well, absolutely. It, it's, it's, it's like, it's like out here in Arizona, like, man, you want to get some authentic uh, tacos and things like that. You just look for the rundown kind of building and sure enough, it's amazing. Right. It is amazing. Yeah, it's right there on Monroe. It's it's hard to miss. It's right next to right next to campus. Throw it into your phone. It's a it's a it's a can't miss place. I'm gonna write that down because I have a bad memory. So next place, next time I'm in town, I'm going there. That works. Uh, thank you, Corey. We really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you. That was a great interview with Corey Brock to begin our outfield preview. Again, good stuff there from Julio Rodriguez uh, about Julio Rodriguez and Teoscar Hernandez. And if you want to hear stuff about the other outfielders for the Mariners that we will not be talking about here in this this segment currently, uh, Jared Kelnick and AJ Pollock, the left field platoon, which we have talked about a bunch in the first sixteen episodes of this podcast. If you want to hear about Jared, episodes nine and twelve. If you want to hear about AJ Pollock, episodes seven. And 10, if you want to hear more about the Mariners' left field platoon, not much has really changed in that department. Before we continue with their outfield preview, Lyle, a phenomenal idea was presented to us off the air by Corey Brock that I think deserves a little bit more light. An idea of an episode. He suggested me, you, himself, and Ryan Divish recording one of these at a bar. I could, that, I could not think of a, a better hour of entertainment than that i like i don't even know if we would talk about baseball 
that would be the best podcast we ever do, hands down. I mean, can make a live show out of it. Any of our listeners that wanted to find their way out to the bar and and do a little live show with some cameras. I mean, that would be that would be awesome. I mean, like you said, we could just ask them all about what have they been eating and drinking on the road. To be honest, uh, you know what I would want to ask about, Lyle, because we talk about we talked about this stuff all the time in school. It's like journalism stories. I mean, we could talk about that for hours, right? Yeah. Like, especially once some alcohol gets in your system. <laughs> it's true. We could. I mean, and, it's... You know, Ryan was 100% sober. He was sober when he was here on the podcast with us. And he's still, you know, as open a guy as he gets, tell, telling stories and, and explaining about his time on the beat. And Corey is the same way, talk, talking about kind of stuff. And just to, just to imagine that Corey placed that thought in my head, I was like, oh, my goodness. Can we get everyone together, like set up a camera next to the bar, and the four of us just sit there drinking, uh, each have a microphone. That sounds great. Mike in one hand, beer or mixed drink in the other hand, either just – shooting the breeze about the mariners or anything i think i know you're not you're not drinking beer what are you drinking yeah this is something else we talked about the air or off the air a little bit too is i've never been a big beer drinker Corey's trying to persuade me otherwise Uh, i guess i like to go with a mixed drink like something like a moscow mule instead but tj's a big beer beer drinker it sounds like Corey is a craft beer fan so maybe they would drink beers Corey suggested some sours, which I also agree for Lyle. I mean, it still has the texture of beer. It's still thick. It's still, you know, a lot of carbs for people who don't like really carby drinks. That is a very, very carby drink still, but it's at least sweet. It doesn't really taste like beer. It tastes like fruit, which is which is the goal of a sour. We talked mm-hmm. about, you know, I grew up in Ballard. We talked about the Ballard Brewery District off, off the air for about, you know, 15 minutes. And I know my dad and my brother who are probably listening to this episode pounding their hands down on the table wondering where that that content is <laughs> that i was not we weren't able to get that uh, that on the air and we kind of joked with Corey before he left i was like we could have put this whole second half of us not recording into a, like a completely different podcast episode we could have and, and all that was great again i was learning all about the ballard beer district or yeah ballard bar scene and beer district because i haven't really been out <laughs> to it that much yeah i can't believe you haven't so we'll have to go when 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 i come back up sometime we'll have to go we can well i'll have you drink sours or you can just bring bring a road drink and stick it in your back pocket (laughs) i'll have to try some sours yeah that'll be good back to baseball it's a baseball podcast of course let's continue with our outfield preview we talked a lot of julio already talked a lot of teoscar hernandez with Corey Brock, talked about Jared a bunch. We've talked about AJ Pollock a bunch. You know who we haven't talked about? Who are the auxiliary guys in this outfield? Because that's what I think this segment is reserved for. Sam Haggerty. Let's start with Sam. Sam is, you think about it for the way the roster is constructed, number one backup outfielder. Because I'll qualify Jared and AJ as the two starters. Both starters, I would say. Neither's going to be a backup. So Sam is your backup outfielder. This guy will play an extremely important role on this team in 2023. And they can't afford to have him hurt his groin like he did at the end of last season, just getting into some spring training games. I think he's played two so far, but he played today uh, and he played a couple days ago as well, both at second base, funny enough, but we're projecting Sam Haggerty in the outfield to play another important role. 
here in this upcoming season. I was so devastated when I saw him get hurt at the end of the year last year. I was at that game. The Mariners lost to the Tigers. I mean, they they had already clinched the playoff spot at that point. It wasn't so much that they lost, but in the ninth inning of that game, Haggerty got hurt. You could tell how injured he was stealing second base. And I was just like, I just had my head hanging down. I was because I was like, that is such a vital piece to this team that they could use in the postseason, especially if you need some speed. They just didn't have it. Now, it probably didn't affect the outcome of the season one way or another in the end. But point being, looking ahead to 2023, between his speed, between the defense he plays, he can actually hit the ball pretty well, especially from the right side. There's a lot that he brings to the table, especially on the speed and defensive side of things. So, yeah, the Mariners are going to need him a lot, especially if there's ever an injury. He's going to be the next man up. He was worth 2.2 wins on baseball reference and just 201 at-bats. That's a that's a six-win player if you extrapolate it out over a full season. Just to put in perspective how good he was in the short sample size. You mentioned, though, the way he got hurt is how he is best fit on this team, though. We saw it a little bit during last year when he got extended periods of playing time. He got a little bit exposed at the plate. But his best value, I think, comes off the bench playing defense and stealing bases late in the game. He was the third best Mariners base runner last year behind Dylan Moore and Julio. And almost half his stolen bases came from the seventh inning onwards when you look at last year. That's where they need him, especially with these new rules, with with a pitcher getting sped up, not paying as close attention to first base, can't throw over as much, with them probably just forgetting about Sam at first and the bigger bases as well. This is more indication for him to use what is his biggest strength and go steal bases late in games. He ranks in the 90th percentile in sprint speed. In other words, Sam Haggerty is very fast. There's a reason the Mariners like him a lot. And also, did, did you realize he had nine defensive runs saved this past year? I knew he was a pretty good outfielder, but I didn't realize his DRS got that high until digging into his numbers. I mean, that is a really, really good outfielder. And he can play both corner spots in a pinch if you need him to. He could play center field, too. Actually, he was plus 11 DRS. I, you're forgetting he had plus two defensive runs saved in 12 innings at second last year. Oh, look at that. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so he had nine defensive runs saved in the outfield. Yeah, if you want to factor in second base, then he had 11. That's a good def- That's a really good defender. And that's a half season's worth of defense right there. So if you look at all of his defensive innings, he played about 500 innings in the field. A full season for a guy in the outfield, what, like 1,100-ish innings along those lines? So you tell Sam, hey, go play 1,100 and keep that same rate. That's platinum glove level defense there from Sam Haggerty. He will be playing in the infield this year. Don't get us wrong. The the Mariners seem fine with having him at second base. He could be that guy at second, especially as a right-handed hitter. If They really need him in there and they want his defense and they want his speed. That's good. But he is a good outfielder. We talk about Dylan Moore being a good backup corner outfielder and good defender. Sam Haggerty is a dude in outfield, especially it's kind of it's kind of weird how how he's a much better defender in left than he was in right in the, about the same amount of innings. Maybe that has to do with arm strength, a bit of shorter throw in left field than it is in right field. Plus seven in left field in 210 innings. That is insane. That's an insane number. Yeah, I mean. 
how many more ways can you put it? Sam Haggerty's a good defender. There's a reason he gets time out there. There's a reason he, they put him in the game late because he can play defense and steal bases. He's a perfect role player, utility player, bench player, whatever you want to phrase it as. Sam Haggerty plays his role really well. Now, on the offensive side of things, 116 OPS plus this past year. I mean, he can hit, and he really hit from the right side. But TJ, I know you have your hesitancies about how sustainable that is long-term. I just don't think we should crown someone after 66 at-bats. So what you say, 79 plate appearances, 66 at-bats. Uh, and those 66 at-bats, just I'll let you know, from a right as from the right side, he was better than Aaron Judge. In case you were wondering, he was better than Aaron Judge. Okay, we got that out of the way. His uh, batting average on balls in play last year was 455 from the right side. It was a, a, a little, little unsustainable, to say the least. So that though, you can expect those numbers to, to come down a little bit from Sam Haggerty for the right side. What's more concerning, he had more at-bats versus right-handed pitchers than he did against lefties. He is not, uh, not a very good hitter as a left-handed hitter. And if that's where a majority of the pitchers the Mariners are going to face and they're forced to play him against righties and make him hit lefty, he's just he's not a very good left-handed hitter. 56, 53 WRC plus hit like OPS combined to be barely over 500. He struck out nearly 30% of the time. It's just, it's not very good. Look, he may have a small sample size hitting as a righty, but I think the plug and play becomes much easier for the Mariners. If Pollock were ever to get injured, than if Kelnick does, or yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, if no, Pollock you got that. Because if Kelnick gets injured, then you've got, Two guys that thrive against lefties in Haggerty and the small sample size and Pollock, neither is great against righties. So, yeah, that we'll see what Haggerty does from the right side in 2023. But even in a short sample, that has proven to be his much better side. Also, to your point about Babbitt, for people that aren't Babbitt nerds like we are, I guess, in other words, English terms, 455. He's not doing that again in 2023. There's no way. Batting average on balls in play. The league average is 300 for batting average on balls in play. And he was 150 points above that. You can usually sustain between a 350 BABIP and a 250 BABIP, depending on your batting ball profile, aka how hard you're hitting the baseball and where you're hitting it. 455 uh, is not sustainable. Not at all. (laughs) The last time anyone hit uh, I mean, I know there's a there Joey Votto in the second half of 2016 hit over 400 uh, in the second half on balls in play. Oh no, 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 I got he that hit wrong. Scratch that from the record. He hit 400. Yeah, but I, I would assume his balls in play was I was high too. I can't remember that. I was thinking of the wrong number, but good thing to good thing to catch me on that. Regardless, for Sam Haggerty though the. The, the only question I have really is like, could you trust him as a regular if you need to? I I don't think so yet. He's going to be 29 this year. I think if we would have seen him as a regular, uh, like a true regular with true, hey, if we really need him, he can play everyday value. We would have seen it by now. But in the, in the plug and play factor, I still think Sam Haggerty ranks amongst the most valuable bench players in baseball. 
I think Dylan Moore is probably closer to an everyday player than Haggerty is. Haggerty has a very specific role because you're right between his profile that was less than ideal from the left side of the plate combined with he got exposed a little bit as the season started to go on because he was hot during the summertime, like red hot. But then he started to tail off a little bit, which is expected. I'm with you. I think for the role he plays, he is phenomenal. However, it probably needs to be in that specific role. A long-term Sam Haggerty in a starting role maybe isn't the best fit for the Mariners in terms of succeeding in 2023. But for the role he's in, I think he's going to be really successful. Now, if we want to change gears a little bit here and spend just a minute or two on Cooper Hummel, because we spent a decent chunk of time there on Haggerty. Cooper Hummel, another guy we've talked about a little bit. His major league profile just off first glance has not been glamorous. He's only played a little bit of time in the big leagues, but there is reason to believe he could go up from there. Again, last year with the Diamondbacks, he played 66 games. He hit 176. His OPS was 580. Again, not great, but he walks a lot. He is versatile. He has the ability to catch. And I just get the sense that a lot of those underlying numbers the Mariners saw in Hummel when they traded for him scream to them that he has a chance to play a role on this team too. It's interesting. Speaking of that role, Lyle, Jerry went on on 710 last week and said he thinks Cooper not only is going to play corner outfield for the Mariners, he's going to also play the corner infield spots as well, which adds to versatility. And the the profile they have of Cooper Hummel, they just like so much. The dude just walks so much. Every spot in the minors, at some point, he had over a 14% walk rate, which is in the upper echelon if you were able to keep that in the major leagues. He did have a very high walk rate when he made it to, to the big leagues. He had 11.4%, but he also struck out 32% of the time, which was the issue. You cut down on those strikeouts and those walks creep up a little bit and your offensive profile all of a sudden comes back to being more valuable. And if they can get a guy who can play four different spots, or sorry, five different spots, I didn't even mention catcher, which is his position that he played at Portland when he got drafted. And then, But in the minors, didn't catch quite as much because they didn't really need him to, and he was a better athlete. But you, a guy who can play five different positions for your ball club while walking at a high clip and just being valuable, be, being there, provides a lot of value for this baseball team. He caught a little bit in the first couple of games of spring training this past weekend. So they're, they're trying to use him everywhere, which makes sense if you want him to be a super utility type of player. Now he won't play the middle infield or anything like that, but corner outfield, corner infield catcher. He does have a versatile profile and he can play a versatile role on this team. He also really hit throughout the minors. Like I know his first stint was not pretty in the big leagues and he is entering his age 28 season. So he's a little bit up there in age. This guy mashed through the minor leagues. I mean, you want to look at his 2022 season as a whole. He hit now he only played 33 games in Reno, but in that time he OPS 950. He hit six bombs batting average at 310 and just about every level he's been at. He hits. So he has proven just about everything he can in the minors. Last step for him for him is to see if it can click in the majors or not. And again, when you have a guy who walks that much, you think yes, because this guy has an idea of what he's going to do at the plate every time. It is really hard to be successful in the major leagues when you strike out 31% of the time. 
Eugenio Suarez, as we talked about a couple episodes ago, makes that, you know, is one of the few exceptions to that rule, striking out that much and being successful at the big league level. You mentioned his his stint down in AAA. He primarily played left field for the Diamondbacks at Reno last year in AAA. So he's, he, you know, that is the spot he's played at in the minors. And if you can have his bat there with the corner outfield spot, corner outfielders are expected to hit a little bit more. So we can't do what he did, you know, hitting at the big league level last year while playing in the outfield. That is that is a significant drop in production from what you expect from a corner outfield spot. But they're high on Cooper Hummel, and they've picked up guys like the guy we just talked about, Sam Haggerty, like Dylan Moore, you know, these older, you know, sort of castaway guys that have carved out a role on the bench. Cooper Hummel has a real chance to be that kind of guy with all the positions he can play and the potential offensive value that he can bring. And let's not forget the guy they gave up for him, Kyle Lewis. If he was still on this roster, it would be DH only. That That's where Kyle Lewis is at this point of his career. So you'll take the versatility with Cooper Hummel instead. We've covered a lot among these outfielders. Julio, Teoscar, Kelnick, Pollock. Sam Haggerty, Cooper Hummel. Going into 2023, those are going to be the outfielders. And personally, I'm pretty excited to see what each of them can bring because this is a team that has a chance to be pretty exciting. The outfield plays a big part in that, so it should be fun. Okay, TJ, let's close this show out with Speak Your Mind. Speak Your Mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. I know you've got some thoughts this week, so why don't you drop them on us? What are you thinking about? Did you, I'm sh- I'm sure you knew Jake Paul was fighting yesterday on Sunday, right? I did. I didn't watch, but I did know he was fighting, yes. I didn't. Do people actually, like, watch that? Does anyone, does it, do any of our listeners, like, DM us on Twitter if you do, or you can just add us. Do you actually buy the pay-per-view for Jake Paul? Please, please explain, like, do you actually... Take out your credit card and buy a pay-per-view to watch a YouTuber box. Do you do that? I, I think it is so fascinating. The, the popularity Jake Paul has brought. And I'm honestly like, I respect it. Because the sport of boxing is not what it once was. And it's it's kind of hard to get people to to sit down and watch a true boxing match. But Jake Paul, despite fighting some of the worst fighters I've ever seen, like fighting YouTubers, fighting old people, like Tommy Fury, who he fought this weekend, whose only claim to fame um, is the fact that his brother, his half-brother is heavyweight champion Tyson Fury, uh, was 8-0, but his opponents, (laughs) uh, uh, Tommy Fury's opponents, had a combined record of 24, 176, and 5. (laughs) <laughs> prior prior to stepping in the ring with Jake Paul. And Jake Paul still lost, which was which was even funnier. It's just fascinating how many storylines that Jake Paul can bring out of fighting the like the absolute bottom of the barrel of the boxing world and still being as popular as possible. I just think it's hilarious that look, Jake Paul had fought some YouTubers in some boxing matches over the years in the past. I just think it's funny when his hype train really started. 
was when, of all people, he boxed and beat Nate Robinson. Yeah, he beat beat Nate Robinson. <laughs> he beat what? TSI? KS? I thought that was Logan Paul that fought. I thought it was Logan Paul that fought KSI. I don't keep up with this I, stuff I get enough. the mixed up. I get the mixed up. Yeah, he fought KSI. I should I you know, honestly, I probably should have written down all the boxers he has boxers he has fought. Ben Askren was another, I think, who's an older boxer, I believe. Yeah, he retired. Mm-hmm. It's I mean, crazy because I Jake Paul, regardless if he wins or loses, gets millions of dollars from this. He has made quite the production out of his boxing career. And I honestly respect it because I wish I could be like, you know, you're the bottom of the barrel of boxing and you still are, uh, you're such a good marketer that it doesn't matter. I just need him to eventually now fight Floyd Mayweather. Like Floyd is retired, but he would, if, if Jake Paul writes him a big enough check, he would do it. Right. Well, Floyd Mayweather fought Logan Paul in some stupid exhibition fight a while back. It was like a year or two ago. Remember, I, I, it was like seven or eight rounds. I mean, there wasn't even a decision, AK. There, there was no winner. But the two of them fought. And Floyd Mayweather's just basically messing around. Like, like he could have so easily knocked out Logan Paul if he wanted to. But yeah. he didn't. He was playing all his defense. And he just kind of let it go. So maybe he'd fight Jake if he fought Logan. But, yeah, it is wild that Jake Paul has now actually made a boxing career off of being just an amazing marketer, I guess. And and think about this, right? All all the guys in the UFC trying to like fight their way up the UFC, they are in some just brutal fights. They are in the, some of the the most grimy like like it is it is it is hard. It, it it is painful to fight UFC and you're like grappling on the ground, arms are breaking, people's noses are getting broken. Meanwhile, Jake Paul is pretty much fighting nobodies like training for boxing in these exhibition matchups and making probably 10, 20 times what all these, you know, extremely talented UFC fighters are, which is, which is really funny. It's incredible. It really is. Okay. So my speak your mind this week, not boxing, but I'm excited for the month of March, not just because there's going to be more spring training, because we're going to get closer to March Madness. The reason I'm excited for the month, of, the month of March, at least on this edition of Speak Your Mind, TV viewing is going to be off the charts, at least in my world, because Ted Lasso is coming out, season three. That is going to be awesome. And I can't remember, did you watch Ted Lasso or have you still not watched it? Still not. Nope. Okay. Still not watched Ted Lasso. It's one of my favorite shows ever. It's so hilarious. So Ted Lasso, and then the one that we can share the likeness on Mandalorian's coming out for season three. And I am excited for that. You've forgotten some major shows and it also happens to overlap with outer banks coming out last week, season three and last of us has two more episodes left. All of these will overlap at the same exact time. Uh, Mando comes out tomorrow night, I believe tomorrow night at midnight Pacific. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay. So I haven't watched Outer Banks or Last of Us. I know they're super popular shows, but I don't yeah, watch You're them. missing out on some great television there, there, dog. And I'm really disappointed you mentioned the month of March without mentioning my birthday. Um, you know, it's okay. It's all right. I'm not going to take it personally. Well, 
and that that's secondary to things like the Mandalorian and Ted Lasso. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> you, it, your birthday's easy to remember because you and my brother have birthdays on back to back days. So yes, I know it's next week. It's actually on Friday. Oh yeah, February. Say next week. Word. Yeah, February is weird. You're right. I, I I understand. I get it. It is a very but, good month for television. I almost thought about doing that for my speaker mind, but I I guess you might do it. So my I mean my biggest concern is I don't know when I'm going to have time to watch all of this television. AKA like, do I have to watch Outer? Should I finish Outer Banks first because Netflix is going to lock me out of my parents' Netflix account soon because I haven't connected to the home Wi-Fi? Like I don't know how when that's supposed to click into place. I need to like. I need to I need to to decide on on my 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 order of how I'm going to watch things. I think I'm going to have to knock out Outer Banks first, I think. Get the Netflix shows done first. Well, it sounds like it if if you're going to get locked out of the account, so sure. Yeah, start with Outer Banks and then go from there. Maybe I'll still have to give Outer Banks a, a shot. Somebody just the other day was telling me that it's also a really good show. I just I don't know. Is isn't it like just kind of dumb it's no it's, it's not like reality a, it's like TV, a teen drama like, isn't it kind of a yeah, it's drama it's but drama. like it's like a teen drama but like no different than the fact that cobra kai is a teen drama that's true all right Outer well banks just has you know it's a little darker it's not like it's not as light and you're like oh corny karate it's like actual real life it's interesting though okay well maybe that needs to be on my next checklist of shows to watch because when i, I watch outer more. banks for the first time when i watch outer banks for the first time i watched the entire first season and i believe 24 hours I think it's quick it's oh, so it really real it really reels you in like i remember when i watched cobra kai for the first time thinking yeah i like the karate kid movies i'll give it a shot i think i watched like seven or eight episodes just straight through because i got so hooked on the show so maybe Outer Banks will do the same thing if I give it a shot. If I do, I'll report back here on the show and and give you my review. But go. That I just said go about, for it. Oh well, I will do that as soon as I watch it. I will get back on the show and give it a review. That just about wraps us up for this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know if you want to listen to the full podcast, you can do so on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and Google. And for the video podcast, you can get the full-form podcast on YouTube. On social media, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube Shorts at Marine Layer Pod. Also, a little extra note, too, meant to do it at the start of the podcast. But if you guys ever have listener questions that you want to send in, we'd love to take them. And we'd love to answer some questions on the show. So if you guys ever have questions that you want to send in, you can DM us on Twitter. You can DM us on Instagram. Or you can send us an email, marinelayerpod at gmail.com. For TJ Matthewson, this has been Lyle Goldstein. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>